You're listening to the Clutter Fairy Weekly, a weekly webcast and podcast brought to you by the Clutter Fairy in Houston, Texas. If you'd like to participate in one of our live webcasts, please visit cfhou.com slash weekly. You'll find a calendar of upcoming webcasts, as well as instructions for joining the Zoom meeting via the app or by phone. We'd love to see you. That URL again is cfhou.com slash weekly. Now here's the weekly episode. Enjoy. Hi, Clutter Fairy fans. This is the Clutter Fairy Weekly for September 20th, 2022. I'm your co-host, Ed Gumnick, and I'm speaking with Gail Goddard, certified professional organizer and owner of the Clutter Fairy in Houston, Texas. Hi, everybody. The Clutter Fairy Weekly is the webcast and podcast that digs deep into the clutter that piles up between you and the life you want to be living. We explore the habits and behaviors that lead to clutter, and we suggest strategies to slow the accumulation, reduce the collection, and comfortably manage the stuff we decide to keep. If you're new to our Zoom meeting, we want to let you know that you can share your comments and questions via the chat feature, and I'll try to make sure Gail addresses them before we move on to another topic. You can also use the raise hand feature if you'd like to make a comment or ask a question yourself via audio or video. We're also streaming the webcast live on Facebook, so you can share your questions and comments there, and I'll share them with Gail. We're going to start a little differently today from our usual start. We're going to uh, get a Gail status update. The, we- <laughs> the weekend before last, Gail went off to the Colorado Bead Retreat, and all she brought back as a souvenir was a lousy case of COVID. How are you feeling, Gail? Um, I would have to say that I'm feeling lousy. <laughs> And um, you'll be able to tell all throughout, I'm sure my voice sounds funny, my head is still stopped up, and I am, you know, coughing. And so my apologies in advance. We're going to do our best to, you know, make it happen. And I hope that I'm not like too um, making you cough too, uh, making your ears explode from coughing. We're going to try to manage it as best we can. And I'm just apologizing in advance. Um, I'm about 10 days out, I guess. And yeah, like this is the lingering head slash cough slash snot that well, is to make, for me. To make today as easy on you as possible, I am prepared to jump in if your cough gets to be a problem. So hold up your hand and let me know that you need to tap out and I will you know, <laughs> jump in. So okay. our audience may get a little more of me today than usual. I, I turned off the spotlight on you so that we can uh, share the spotlight. All right, let's recap last week's tittle, which was called Your Home Manifesto. The assignment was to write a personal manifesto for your home, an expression of how you would like for your place to support your life. We'd love to hear from our participants in Zoom and on Facebook. Who took a crack at at writing a manifesto this week? Please share it in the comments. Bonnie sent us her manifesto in a comment on last week's show notes on the website. Bonnie says, my home is a quiet and comfortable haven for me to write, paint, and be with my husband. It is filled with books, various places to sit, good light, art supplies, high-speed internet, and a supply of ready-made or easily prepared foods so that I can fuel up and get back to creating. It also has to be aesthetically pleasing. I write historical fiction, so it's kind of Victorian in feel, not minimalist, but the clutter must be below a certain level or it will distract me and wear me down. It needs to feel easy, warm, cozy, and supportive. Thanks for that great description, Bonnie. I appreciate you sharing your vision. Um, I really like the visual. Basically, your house needs to support your creative pursuits without being too distracting. And notice that nowhere does she say my house has to be perfect. It just needs to be pleasing, cozy, and supportive. And those are great goals to focus your efforts. So thanks for thinking your way through that and sharing it with us. Appreciate it. Um, Joyce said, I did a lot of writing toward a manifesto, but it never got to manifesto manifesto status. It's a good start, though. Right. And, uh, you know, I imagine that some people have never thought about it, like, what do I really want my home to be? And so you, sometimes you got to let that percolate for a while and see what comes up for you. That's okay. Just the act of thinking about it is going to improve how you look at the clutter in the house because you will keep that writing in the back of your head as you're doing your work. So you can go back to it more than once. You can, you know, do it in, in uh, rounds. 
do a round and go, go away and think about it and come back and do another round and, and refine until you get where you need to be. M said, I ended up with a wonderful outline, an outline for life, kind of, but am at a loss about how to implement it. I think um, basically we're just trying to give you an idea of what you are aiming for and what you're hoping to have as a background to help you evaluate the contents of the stuff. So if you know that you're ha- you want your house to be cozy and there's something in the house that doesn't make you feel cozy, then that's a criteria by which you can edit the contents of the house and say, well, this doesn't support my picture of what I really want in here. And so I may not have all of the things that I want it to be, but I know that this doesn't support my vision. And so I can let that go on under under that context, in that context to let it go. And we'll talk today about um, the emotional elements that show up in that manifesto or your vision for your home and how you can try to leverage the positive ones. And then next week, we're also going to talk about habits, which are a big part of the implementation. Marsh shared that she uh, sent us, she also sent us a, a manifesto on the website. I didn't share that one just because it was a little bit long, but thank you for that. Jane said, the last tittle was hugely helpful. I decided I want my home to be safe and comfortable. As a result, I've had a raised entry removed, eight by 10 feet of concrete, six inches high, and I'm looking forward to getting the steps to the house lowered too. Wow. That's nice. a major that's reconstruction. That's a big project. Yeah. Wowza. Good for you. Good for you figuring out that that's, you know, that's more important to you uh, to make the house feel comfortable. That's awesome. And she also, uh, Jane also said a friend came, also came over and helped me take down all the valances in the living and dining rooms. They were very eighties and it was time for them to go. And time for them to go. And the project <laughs> she mentioned the previously, she said, two tons of concrete decluttered that is some serious decluttering yeah that's a lot of concrete okay let's get on to our main topic emotions play leading roles in the habits and routines through which we acquire stuff decide what to keep and face the challenge of clutter buildup today we're going to unpack positive and negative negative emotions that influence our choices and suggest ways to leverage emotions in managing our clutter. Uh, Last time, before COVID so rudely interrupted my life, we talked about developing a personal philosophy of decluttering based on what we want in life and then what stuff we need to support that life. So this this week, we're going to talk about the emotions that either support us in that pursuit or the negative ones that block us from reaching those goals. First, we need to give our usual disclaimer Whenever we talk about the psychology of clutter, we're not mental health professionals, so we're not qualified to diagnose or treat mental health issues. The ideas that we're going to share with you today are based on our personal experiences, plus many years of observing hundreds of clients deal with the emotional components of their clutter issues. We're hoping to help you understand and navigate your issues with clutter, but if if you're finding that the struggle is too much to manage on your own, we want to encourage you to seek outside help either in the form of mental health services, professional organizing services, or a combination of the two. So let's get started with the topic. There are two broad categories of behaviors that lead to clutter. First is the tendency to bring too much in. And second is the tendency to not let enough go out. Our clutter-related behaviors are driven by many emotions. And there's also overlap of emotions as we offload stuff. So Our audience member, uh, Cass, nicely summed up this complex in a relationship, and she said, while removing my children's baby clothes and baby reading books, I felt joy and happiness having beautiful memories of past times, but also sadness at letting go. It's difficult knowing that my motherhood role is changing. And like Cass, we often experience a tangle of positive and negative emotions as we deal with decluttering. My workday is dominated by the negative emotions that clients experience because that's my job, really. Those who are stuck in the negative emotions about their stuff in their lives are the ones that call for my help. And since you're here, 
you're likely already feeling some of the things that I'll describe. When you're looking at the accumulation of possessions and you're frozen in place because of it, then this list is going to sound very familiar to you. So we're going to focus first on too much coming in. <laughs> Why do we bring in too much? Why do we buy more than we can realistically use in our lives or store in our spaces? We tend to speak very casually and laugh while we talk about it, about shopping therapy. But there's also some very real ways in which many people use shopping as a means to alleviate negative emotions or to create feelings of comfort or release. Sometimes we shop for a distraction or as a form of entertainment. Spending time with friends is fun. Looking at new things is exciting. Forgetting about your life and your stress and your worries, always a relief. Taking possession of something new feels great. But shopping therapy is a fleeting temporary fix that doesn't last beyond a few moments. The feeling's temporary, and it sometimes doesn't last beyond getting the bags to the car. The clutter, however, is permanent, and you have to go shopping again to get that feeling back. Sometimes we buy stuff to relieve feelings of inadequacy or insufficiency. We're persuaded to buy things we think will make us better versions of ourselves. Think about the fancy makeup that you bought or a new treadmill or the latest, greatest kitchen appliance. Ed and I refer to this as aspirational clutter. We aspire to be a better person and this new item will make that better person happen. We buy stuff to relieve feelings of emptiness that stem from loss, loneliness, or heartache. Filling an emotional emptiness with physical stuff really never sticks. It's another temporary distraction from the empty feeling. Yet somehow we think getting more stuff will mend the broken heart. We've all done this, but at some point you realize it's not actually helping very much. We buy stuff out of fear. We have a need to feel safe and secure, to be protected against deprivation or disaster. So we stockpile supplies and we buy more than we need, sometimes more than we could ever use in a lifetime. We're afraid we'll end up without something we need without giving ourselves any credit for the ability to adapt and find a solution if this should actually happen. So the other version, the other direction is not enough going out. So once we've collected too much stuff, what are the emotional reasons we hang on to things that don't serve us anymore? We might be dealing with feelings of self-worth. Our self-image and sense of self-worth gets tied up in the things that we keep. For example, if our self-worth is connected to our success, it's hard to let go of the tangible evidence of success. Like here's the school records and the transcripts and my grades. Here's awards I got at work or athletic trophies. If our self-worth is rooted in our relationships or in being loved and appreciated, it can be difficult to, go, difficult to get rid of cards from family or unwanted or unused gifts. Sometimes our stuff becomes connected to our very identity. We go so far as to define ourselves in relationship to our possessions. For example, the baby clothes that she was talking about earlier, baby clothes connect us to our early experiences as a parent. And I'll say as an aside, we suggest taking photos of those things that you're having trouble letting go of for emotional reasons. There've been a couple of studies that look specifically at the difficulty older parents have with letting go of their children's clothes and found that keeping photographs of this stuff alleviated the sense of loss. Just as fear provides an impulse to acquire stuff, it also drives us to keep too much. We fear what might happen if we don't keep this thing. We fear the loss of security or status, comfort and love. We also fear regret. We fear making a toss decision that we might later end up regretting. That fear drives us to keep way too much stuff. Sometimes letting go represents failure to us. Getting rid of things can feel like an admission of guilt or a failure to accomplish what those things represent. For example, getting rid of the skidding jeans <laughs> means giving up on ever reaching that weight loss goal. Or we feel guilty about the money we spent or we say the money that we wasted. And so we keep the stuff to justify the original expenditure. Even though it doesn't really do that, 
Right. Exactly. It, it, you don't, you aren't, you don't really retroactively justify the expenditure for something you no longer use. Right. And just keep it in the closet. Does it give it back? You know, does it give you the value back? <laughs> nope. Sometimes we keep things because of poorly defined boundaries. We find ourselves taking responsibility for other people's stuff, such as hand-me-downs or family heirlooms. Keeping other people's belongings is a big burden for many of us, but if we don't want or need the things, they infringe on our ability to nurture or create our own lives or identities. Let me give you a quote from uh, that was in response to our survey that is on this very topic of boundaries. Joe had this to say, my mother loved dolls. After 20 years of collecting, she started giving each family member one. I do not like dolls, but could not refuse, else mom would be offended. A few years later, I was moving and didn't want the doll, so I gave it back to her. Yes, she was upset, and I felt guilty, but also relieved that I no longer had to keep something I really didn't like. However, I knew mom was very disappointed. By rejecting the doll, she acted as if I was reje rejecting her. However, by pushing the doll on me, I felt that my feelings were not taken seriously. There were other things that she had that I was happy to take, and I still have them after many years. The lesson learned, don't push something on someone, no matter what that item means to you. Right, because that importance doesn't transfer with the object. That importance is in your own mind, and that it's just like the memories of something don't transfer to the next person the value that you place on it also doesn't transfer to the next person. They either have their own sense of value about it or they don't. And there's no, there's no amount of how you feel about it that changes where they're coming from. It's a good lesson. Thanks for sharing that one. Amanda shared dolls were so valuable in the nineties and now they are much less wish my family sold them off decades ago. Right. And it's one of those collectible things that the value goes ebbs and flows with the market and with the interest. And, you know, there'll be a time whether, well, the, where there will be valuable again. But right now, you know, we're in the ebb part. <laughs> it happens to all the collectibles for sure. Okay. So let's talk about the emotional cost of living with clutter. The emotional toll that clutter takes on us and the gains we might get from making a choice to let go of stuff less clutter means less anxiety and stress there's a strongly documented connection between the amount of excess stuff in our living spaces and the stress hormone cortisol and i know that you guys all have experienced that sensation of the house is so stressful therefore i feel a lot of anxiety a lot of stress you know those emotions come just from looking at a place that feels too cluttered to you and everybody's definition of too cluttered is different right but when it's when your house has reached your definition of cluttered then you're the one that starts feeling the stress so less clutter means less stress less clutter can mean reduced tension in our relationships if you and your partner are not in agreement about how much stuff is okay this can be an ongoing source of friction between the two of you and it can go on for years. <laughs> so this is a good one. If you can reduce the clutter, you can reduce the tension. Clutter leads to feelings of ineffectualness. And a stronger version of this feeling is shame. Feeling ineffective can feel shameful. Getting clarity in our spaces can help us reclaim a sense of purpose and effectiveness. If you feel like you've lost control of your house, then you feel bad about it and it translates to feeling bad about yourself a cluttered space at home can lead to difficulty in shifting from your work life to your home life to get a good rest and relief from your work day you need a space that provides you a sense of relief and sanctuary just like bonnie you know put it in her um, manifesto for the house that she needed to be cozy and comfortable and Everybody needs to feel cozy and comfortable, whatever that sounds like for you, in order to be able to come home and get good rest. Clutter creates a sense of fatigue. Man, isn't that the truth? Among other things, uh, cortisol leaves us feeling emotionally fatigued and physically exhausted. That stress hormone that happens. Clutter drains away mental resources that could be better spent elsewhere. When you're putting a whole lot of energy in 
ignoring, reacting to, and trying to ignore the clutter in your house, you're burning a lot of mental resources. You're burning a lot of energy working on that. So there's positive emotions that come with the struggle against clutter. And we'd like to talk about those positive emotions that affect our efforts. They can both influence our ability and willingness to let go of things and serve as an incentive or a goalpost towards which we can aim. It's one of the things we asked our audience, what emotional states they hope to experience in their uncluttered homes. And here are some of the responses. I've got a list here. Peace, number one answer. This answer came up more than anything else. Calm, openness, relaxation, serenity, freedom, joy, focus, clarity, relief, lightness. I thought that was a good one. Elation, renewed energy. All of those things are great emotional states to be aiming for and hoping for by decluttering your space. I love this list. By focusing on those positive emotions, we can make the work of decluttering easier and less painful for ourselves. Consider how keeping your focus on positive emotional states might change your experience of clearing clutter. Think about generosity. Think about the person who can make better use of your excess stuff. Can feelings of generosity provide the motivation you need for letting go? Gratitude. If we reflect on feelings of gratitude for what we already have, we might discover a shift in our attitudes about what we really need. A popular trend in recent years has been to keep a gratitude journal. Think about writing a gratitude journal entry focused on the stuff that means the most to you, which might shed light on which things mean a little less than they once did, and you can be ready to let those go. Freedom. Reducing clutter means reducing the time we have to spend cleaning and maintaining that clutter. And that's freeing up time for other things in life. That freedom is a good thing to aim for. Focus, simplifying our surroundings makes, makes it easier for us to concentrate. And that was another thing that Bonnie said, like if the clutter got too bad, then it was distracting for her. So um, dealing with the surroundings in such a way that you can focus better, it helps, feeling, it helps you feel effective in your life because we can, you can accomplish things that are important. Focus is a good, gaining the ability to focus is a good thing to aim for. Relief, a job complete and a space made usable and pleasant brings a huge sense of relief, a great weight lifting from our shoulders. And my clients uh, report that all the time. They just feel so released from oppression <laughs> by their space. Comfort was one that uh, Bonnie said earlier, because the space is easier to navigate and has things that make you feel happy, you can feel comfortable in your space again. Pride, you can certainly feel pride accomplishing something good for yourself and for helping others when you donate things to a cause brings a great sense of pride and what a great place to be standing from. I feel pride that I accomplished my task and I donated and supported people. Supportiveness, exactly when you can give to someone else and, and help them, you feel supportive. And feeling energized, I would love to feel energized right now. <laughs> we feel energized in a space that's pleasing and orderly, and that helps us get things done that need doing. Calmness, oh my gosh, reducing the chore of organizing a space brings calmness. When the clutter no longer invades your mental space so completely, there is a great sense of calm and what a wonderful thing to be aiming for peacefulness like everybody said they want to be at peace in their home because we want you to live in a place that's truly a retreat and brings you a special peace if you can make your home feel like that supportive retreat and beautiful space where you feel safe and secure and pleased and proud you'll feel peaceful there and that's a wonderful feeling to aim for we certainly want you to arrive at that sense of peace Let's go to some comments. Okay. Um, Joyce said, I have my grandmother's slash mother's Hummel figurines. It's fine. I've always loved them and they all fit on one shelf. However, I know they are worth less than 10% of the cost of the one figurine my mom bought 30 years ago. This is one of those things that you have a space for them. You like them. 
you you find them aesthetically pleasing and they're part of the house that you it's something that you enjoy in your home and so i would concentrate on these right now these items add value and they add they make the house pleasing to you and focus on that instead of focusing on this is one of those collections that's lost its value yeah unless you're unless you're trading goods for a living you know or as a as a money generating hobby you really should not obsess about the value of collections it's just a it's kind of a recipe for for heartbreak because the truth is that most collectibles lose value that there there's always something hot that is worth 10 times what you paid for it but if it's not the thing that you've been collecting you're out of luck and and lots of you know it, you should you should collect things because you enjoy it and you you're, you find them beautiful you find them you you find the process of collecting fun if it's not you know beautiful and fun for you then doesn't matter how much value they've they've accumulated or lost <laughs> right exactly and it and it is one of those things where the value is fleeting and momentary. The value is going to go up and down and up and down and who knows how quickly it's going to change. And there's some things that hold value for a long time. Think about the silverware and China and crystal. It held value for a long time, but suddenly that whole but market has not crashed. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And so a, you can't predict it. B you have no idea whether it's going to happen and mature in your lifetime. And so Unless you are an antique dealer <laughs> and this is how you are trying to make money, you know, don't worry about what it's worth to you now. Just worry about whether you enjoy the collecting. And if you don't, then pass it on to somebody that still does and move on to the next thing in your life and don't stress about the value. Well, and the key word, the key phrase in Joyce's comment was, I've always loved them. Yeah, exactly. So, there you, you go. If she's enjoying them, then the value doesn't really matter. And yes, we're sorry that your mother spent money and now they're not worth anything. And she bought them because she thought they were pretty and you think they're pretty. And so they're serving their purpose. Their art in the world is designed to, for you to enjoy. And that's what you're doing. And so I think, you know, you can count yourself um, accomplished. It's happening how you, how you want it. And don't worry about the value. Leslie, who's uh, watching on Facebook, said, why do people bemoan the worth when one's new car loses 25% when you drive it off the lot? No kidding. It's a good point. You know that <laughs> we, we talk a lot about the sunk cost fallacy. You, you, it, it should, the sunk, the, the cost of something shouldn't even factor into your thought process as you're trying to decide do I keep this or do I let this go? Exactly. Karen shared, I had some beautiful ceramic dolls that, dolls that were given to my daughter who didn't want them in the first place. I put them on next door and gave them to a woman who had lost her collection in, her, in Hurricane Harvey. Oh. We hugged and it gave us both such joy. Isn't that wonderful? And it, you can't imagine what it was like people just had to scrape out the whole contents of their house to the curb because they were just destroyed. The stuff was just covered in nasty, stinky, smelly water and muck. And there was no retrieving a whole lot of stuff. And so I'm so, what a lovely gift to give somebody who was bemoaning the loss of her collection. Great idea. I'm glad it worked out. M, M shared, I have two Hummels from mother and grandmother. The value in them is that they bring back the cozy feeling of sitting in grandma's living room, gazing at them. There you go. They remind you of your grandmother's living room. Isn't that wonderful? That's awesome. Now on the topic of, of emotions, Emily Sue said, I can't wait to declutter to feel those things. But part of what we're suggesting here is putting some focus on the positive emotions you hope or expect to feel to help to help keep you on task on your decluttering 
process and we're gonna that's that's kind of gonna gonna be the uh emphasis of the tittle today so we'll get to that in a little while um linda said for me less stuff equals less fear of change i'll probably need to move to a more senior friendly home or apartment soon i'm less fearful of this now that i've gotten the volume reduced to a level i can manage that is so good because that is the biggest shock to most people when they downsize they think, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go to a smaller house and I'll just kind of wedge all this stuff into the smaller house tighter. And they don't realize how incredibly like they're changing the house square footage, but they're also changing the layout so that it's easier for you to move around. So there's the possibility of, you know, wheelchair access to things. They they change the, de the design of the house to support you being an older and needing more support, needing extra people in the house, needing extra appliances in the house. And so you can't just wedge your contents into the smaller house. And it is a big shock if you try to do it all at once. So good for you that you've been dialing it down. And so that when you go to make this transition, it won't be as shocking. That's going to be a big help. Catherine said, my biggest current struggle in the age of little free libraries, it's easier than ever to accumulate shelves of books you plan to read someday. <laughs> of course, digital clutter, ebooks, files, and apps is even easier to accumulate. Question, does digital clutter have the same stressful effects as physical clutter? So I'm going to go out on the limb and say no, um, because you don't have to look at it in your physical space. You know, as soon as you turn the computer off, that digital clutter, however messy it is, is not there for you to look at. Now, it does create its own level of stress. I can't find something. It's, you know, it's too hard. There's too much in here. It, whatever. It, it has its own effects for you on the other end. But it is something that you can literally close the laptop, close, turn off the iPad, shut down the phone. And, and it immediately goes away. Like there's, <laughs> you can't make that happen in the physical world, except like closing the door to a room that you don't want to look at, but the, you know, digital stuff you can turn off and ignore. And so I think it has a different <laughs> kind of stress. I'm going to take the counterpoint <laughs> and say, yes, uh, I, I think this is a, uh, a matter of personal perspective and also probably a function of your level of connectedness. So you, in you because your work involves physically working with clients, mm. you, you spend at least a few hours every day dealing in other people's stuff. And so the digital isn't intruding on you. You have to leave your, you know, keep your phone on silent you don't have your laptop with you when you're working and so on but for so many people like me i'm on the laptop for my whole eight or more hour day of work and even though i am not someone who really lives just attached to his phone it, it is there it is a con there are constant reminders that it's too full. The there are apps that are that need updating. There are voice, you know, it pokes me about voicemails and all of that. So I, I so my answer is to the extent that you are connected through your electronic devices, it can be as stressful as the physical stuff. Okay. <laughs> that's so cool but and so then you know that means that you part of how you cope is that you work on strategies to manage the digital clutter to calm it down to not be so intrusive to you know allow you to work and right and, strategies and, around that. and cultivate some habits of disconnecting and disengaging yeah yeah turn exactly. it off turn it off at a designated time um i think it's absolutely essential to have um you know to use your phones do not disturb mode if you you know use one of the operating systems that supports that don't let your phone bother you after a certain hour or before a certain hour in the morning yeah joyce said i'm planning on making a photo inventory of family possessions that my younger brother and sister-in-law might want once they move from where they are 
or finally buy their forever home. They live in a parsonage. Oh, okay. That's a cool plan. So you're hopefully um, going to offload some stuff to them when they move to the next space. And I'm wondering if that's something imminent or if that's uh, like, you know, you're expecting to be storing long-term for them. If it's expecting to be a long time from now, you might want to think about how much space you want to surrender to a storage unit. You know, how much of your house you want to be a storage unit for things for them someday. It might be worth reclaiming that space and then supporting them um, some other way when the time comes around. Just depends on the lead time here. Paula had a response to, to Catherine. She said, my list of things to do today includes dropping off a book at a little free library. Uh, <laughs> I no longer have a to-be-read stack. It's a great change to only have current reading books on hand. And, you know, I know book people love to collect the I'm going to read this someday collection. And I think it's um, it's much easier to not go looking for a book you want to read until you have finished the book you're in and, you know, buy them as you go and not in advance of when you go. And I think that's it's really hard because book people would spend their life running up and down the aisles of a bookstore, pulling out interesting books. And they would do that for hours on end, just as much as they would sit and read a book as well. And so I think it's very easy to get a collection that's way beyond your capacity to manage. And so don't tempt yourself as much, <laughs> uh, read what you have. Don't replace, go, don't go to replace it until you finish what you've done. Jane chimed in on what Linda said about, um, preparing for the move to a, a more senior friendly place. She said, it gives a feeling of control knowing I'm letting things go before I have to. It's, that's a very good point. Um, you're, if you do it now while that move is down the road a year or two or more, you're controlling the process. You, you know, when my parents decided to move to Alexian, that they're in, they moved from a, their you know downsized home that they'd been in for about fifteen years to a, a senior community that has independent living, assisted living, and nursing care. They moved into independent living, but the vacancy came up kind of suddenly, and so and they hadn't thought about doing that in quite a long time, and so it sort of became a fire drill and it meant they lost some control of the process they'd done a lot of work to downsize and hand things off to family members who wanted stuff but there was still a whole lot to do and they lost and, some control that way and then and you and then you have to call in reinforcements because right the apartment is open right now and you have to move right now and and there that means that you know here comes your family members or your friends or whatever and then they're helping you with the process and then they're making decisions for you in an attempt to get it done in a timely manner and that's like the that's the part where you, you really lose control when the time window gets short and very compact then you really need a lot of help to make it happen. And then you're going to not be participating in all the decisions. Jane went on to say, it's also a big help knowing I can help others by letting things go that I no longer need or want. If I don't plan to take something when I downsize to a senior apartment, it's time to let it go. Exactly. Because there's no point in wedging it in there because you're the one that's going to have to live around it. And what a hassle. <laughs> so good idea. Good plan. You're doing a good job letting go of it now, making your own choices, getting it out of the way before you get to a smaller space. All, all going to be helpful. All, all kind things to do for your future self, as we say. Connie said, my DH finally agreed to donate a small collection of LPs when he realized we no longer had a turntable and haven't listened to any in 20 plus years. <laughs> right? It's amazing how quickly 20 years can go by. Fondly, he probably remembered listening to those albums, but, you know, we change, our lives evolve, it gets different. He can remember the albums without, um, remember listening to albums without actually keeping the albums in a closet somewhere. <laughs> Good job, dear husband. 
Bella said, too much clutter means more places for rodents and bugs to hide. So we can talk about some more em negative emotions like disgust and revulsion. And ew, and right? Ew. Ew, 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 is ew right? the name of an emotion? I think it I is. I think it is. I think it is. Yeah. We definitely don't want to have to live with that stuff. And you also don't want to have to clean up behind that stuff. Like once that happens, once you've got an infestation of something, then getting rid of the infestation is a huge amount of work and it's so annoying and it requires, you know, chemicals and money and people and ugh, it's just the worst. And so, you know, avoid at all costs uh, and remind yourself, I don't want to create a little mouse house here. We need to get rid of this stuff. We need to get into it and get, get it out of here before I, you know, am creating a winter home for little munchkin, little furry munchkins. Naomi said collectibles is a marketing scam. Buying to sell can never be more than a zero sum game for more than a handful of specialist professionals. And that's exactly. true. It's really, it's really the middlemen who make some money. It's the resellers who find something at lower than what the market will bear and manage to match it up with someone over here who's willing to pay that uh, mm -hmm. or, you know, willing to pay, pay the market price and they make some money and the seller did not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is a, it is a business and you have to like be all in for the business. It's not easy pickings. It's not low amounts of work to make that happen consistently. And, and you really have to be an expert and you really have to be way up in the market, um, you know, buyers and sellers. And it's a lot of work. It's not a casual man's game to make money on collectibles. So if you're not into it 100% and all into the, you know, collectible people, the communities, whatever, then, you know, don't waste your time. Um, Amanda, who talked about doll, the, the family doll collection said, I should send the link for this podcast to the other, the other beneficiaries of the estate these dolls are in. They want to realize the perceived value of these dolls, yet here they sit in my basement. I found a few buyers to take a chunk of them off my hands and will be taking them up on their offers. Yeah, anything you can do, right? And 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 if they give you a hard time about it, you can welcome them to find buyers of their own. Please, I'm happy for you to do this work. If you think they're going to make more money, please, I've done everything I know to do. Help yourself and go find me another buyer. And, you know, leave it at that because, of course, they won't do any better than you and that'll be the end of it. Dawn mentioned longa burger baskets. We once were, were once valuable. I collected them because I loved them. I don't care. They are a dime a dozen. Now I enjoy them. Right. And they're very beautifully constructed and, and, you know, they were, they were popular for a reason. They, they're very beautiful. And if you enjoy them and they make you happy, then there you go. M says, I have never bruised my shin on digital clutter. There so you think, go. <laughs> and that's, cl that's clearly one in your camp. <laughs> I have to tell you that uh, my shins have scars, marks that I'm constantly scratched because I constantly, I tear my shins up in people's houses all the time, going around stuff, trying to get, carry things out. And I'm walking into cardboard boxes and I'm, yeah, my shins are a testament to what I do for a living. <laughs> That's so true. Naomi makes a good point here. She says, you don't have to save ebooks for later. You could just go to the online source when you're ready to read that one. Having books downloaded doesn't make them more reliably accessible. If the internet was no longer available, we would have a, a lot bigger problem than starting a new book. But I think, uh, you know, the possibility of the internet being unavailable forever is not very likely. And so I think you can take the risk and download the book. And that's what I do in my own nook. I pull a book down. When I finish the one I'm reading, I go and find another one. And so I don't worry about preloading my library with a bunch of stuff. I just shop as I go. I tell people all the time, my favorite thing about the internet is the fact that I can finish reading a, a book and check a new one out of the library without getting out of the bathtub. 
I, the thing is, I know that you do that. I, I totally know do that. You do that. It's so, it's so true. <laughs> well, and and you know that I spent many decades in that book collecting headspace. Absolutely. I had probably about three thousand physical books, and the combination of wanting to lighten my load and and live a little bit more flexible and portable life and the fact that i had eye problems that made it harder for me to read books on paper um yeah sort of shifted my thinking over over a period of years and i used to sort of obsess too about keeping keeping a list of the books i want to read like it's gonna they're gonna somehow disappear from my consciousness or and yeah maybe they will if i forget there's a book i want to read then i'll find something find something else to read you know there's there's i'm never going to run out of things to read it took me a long time to admit i'm never going to run out of things to read so i do <laughs> not need to pick up every book that ever catches my attention because surprise surprise there will be more books that catch your attention again the next day the, the next the, not or later the same day it doesn't even take till the next day <laughs> Exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> we better make a couple of announcements. It's getting getting a little late. So okay. let's talk about next week. Okay. We're going to continue our series on developing your decluttering philosophy next week. We're going to return to the topic of habits, unproductive ones that lead to stagnation and clutter, and the useful ones that can turn small increments of work into big progress over time. Join us next Tuesday, September 27th at noon U.S. Central Time for Eating an Elephant, The Power of Habits in a Decluttered Life. Why don't you give us the tittle? Okay, so this week's tittle is going to be about positive reinforcement. This week's assignment is to experiment with using a positive emotion to provide focus for your decluttering e efforts. So select a decluttering project or a collection of items that's been keeping you stalled or stuck. Identify one or more positive emotions that you hope to feel when you finish the project in question or that you might, if you think you might help you get started. Write a statement that connects your project and the specific positive emotion. So here's an example. I will feel a sense of relief and lightness after I process this stack of papers or after I purge these jeans that no longer fit, I will be grateful for clear space and proud to have shared my excess with someone who needs it. Schedule an appointment with yourself to work on your project. And before you begin decluttering, spend a moment reflecting on the statement you wrote or reading it aloud. If you feel your energy starting to fade, repeat the statement to give yourself a fresh boost. If this exercise doesn't produce results on the first attempt, try it again using another positive emotion as your focus and see if uh, it's just a matter of which positive emotion you can focus on to give you the energy that you need to get going. And let us know how it happens, how it goes next week. We'll be waiting to hear. We have time for a couple more comments and questions. So uh, here's one from a question from Catherine. She says, the question of not letting the clutter creep back is common. If you have a long-standing habit of collecting items in certain categories, I imagine it's even harder. Also, once you've promised yourself no more new ones until I finish those already started, how do you motivate yourself to hold on to that? Well, it is a change in behavior, right? You're talking about modifying your behavior. So uh, progress, not perfection. <laughs> and if you uh, break the chain and you, it, you know, go buy more books, even though you don't, you have a million already, um, you just have to ask yourself as you're putting those away, did I really need to add them? Is this really helping me? Um, do I really need to go here? And I think just noticing that you've um, broken your promise to yourself a little bit um, and saying, okay, so I had a moment here and this is what happened. And let's think about what did I gain from this process and what did I lose? And sometimes just reminding yourself, oh yeah, I had a goal here oh yeah, I meant to hold on, you know, I meant to not do this or that and uh, will allow you to 
okay, I've added some new, maybe part of how I can cope with this is that I can get rid of some old. Uh, maybe I can go in and um, look for donations again and try to dial back to what I was hoping for by, and to cope with my sudden splurge by letting some more go out. Don't give yourself a huge hard time about it. And uh, just notice that it happened and notice why it happened and see if there's something you can do to sort of cope with or mitigate what you've done. And then move on and try again, restart the next day. A lot of great discussion in the chat today. Um, I wanted to sh share, Naomi said, sign seen at a fabric store. I'm not going to buy any more fabric until I use up what I have, I said. And then I laughed and laughed. <laughs> Every crafter has known that for sure. As I went to the Colorado Bee Retreat and came home with a bag full of beads. There you go. It's not like I don't have a million. I bought more. What can I say? Um, you know, you get to where you just do your best to minimize, to thin it down to pass it along. And the next retreat, uh, a bunch of stuff is going out to the white elephant jar. So M made a great follow-up comment to that though. She said, I added up the time it would take to use up the fabric I had on hand. It would comfort comfortably last so many years that I quit buying fabric immediately. It wasn't oh, hard at all. Amazing wow. considering how hard it is for me to declutter. Uh, well, and my th thought there is if you are a compulsive book buyer, take a look at, you know, take a quick count of how many books are on your shelves that are to be read someday and think about how, how fast you read and how long that's, that stuff is going to last you, you know? That's a good reflection when you realize it's just like when you have 47 bottles of shampoo and it, you realize it takes you four months to use a bottle and you actually have 37 years of shampoo in your closet. <laughs> like same, it applies to everything, right? If you can only yeah. read one book in a week or in three days or whatever and multiply up at times all the books you have. And then you realize 6,000 books, you will still be right? reading in your coffin and that you can probably like <laughs> slow it down right? until the year 2,700. Right. You can assume that there are some books that are never going to get read and you might as well let them go now. <laughs> let somebody else read them. Okay. If you're watching this on YouTube, we would love for you to join us live. We have so much fun in our live events. To receive notifications about up upcoming events, we invite you to join the meetup group by visiting cfhou.com slash meetup. You can also follow us on Facebook by visiting cfhou.com slash Facebook or join our mailing list by visiting cfhou.com slash subscribe. We love to hear from you, so please keep your questions, comments, and topic suggestions coming on YouTube, Facebook, or anywhere else that you find us. You can always reach us through our website at clutterfairhouston.com. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today, and thank you for being patient with my head full of snot. It's I can tell that I sound ridiculous and there's nothing to be done. My body apparently is not done with it. So thank you for your patience and we will be back next week. See We're you glad later. glad you're feeling better. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye.